The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Welcome to another action-packed, exciting edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Podcast. I'm your host, Lloyd. I hope you guys are all doing well. This episode, I am joined by a tribal officer who actually happens to be a member of the tribe he polices. So it's uh, really cool. A very interesting conversation. I think you guys will really enjoy it. He's a really great dude. Before we get into the podcast, I got to give huge, big, awesome thanks to our good friends over at OfficerPrivacy.com. You may be a new listener and you may be wondering, what is officer privacy? You may have heard about some events that happened in 2020, but even before that, it is very easy to be doxxed. There are people search sites, and for a variety of reasons, your name ends up on these search sites. Sometimes for free, sometimes for a simple fee. Evildoers, as I like to say, can look up your information, find your address, find your phone number, Find information on your family, family members, family members' addresses. That's concerning. That's concerning for a private citizen. That's concerning for a cop. As a law enforcement officer, you deal with folks all the time that do not like you. If they're motivated, they can find your address. You don't want that. I've had folks on the podcast that have talked about people showing up at their door after a critical incident. So that is why I am a paying customer of Officer Privacy. I don't want that. Even though I'm off the job right now, I still don't want people coming to my door. I still don't want randos figuring me out. This is a service not just for cops. It's for anyone that values their own privacy. So check them out, officerprivacy.com. couple simple ways. They have a do-it-yourself option. They give you the tools, and you take care of it on your own. Or be like me, sign up for the premium service. I don't have to worry about a thing. Their team takes care of everything for me, and I get an email telling me I'm protected, and it's awesome. Again, that's officerprivacy.com, and make sure you check out their social media on Facebook and Instagram, Officer Privacy. We're going to keep it short and sweet and get to the meat and potatoes of this podcast, but first, music from Chris Darlington, and we'll be right back with Harry. Price will 
All right, give a big poorly made police podcast welcome. I don't know what the fuck that was, but welcome, <laughs> Harry. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I uh, I, had... I think we probably should have. No, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I already fucked this thing up. See, I <laughs> fucked it up already, man. What were you saying though? Well, I was just gonna say I, I planned to give a, uh, a letter Kenny reply, but it fucked that up. So we're both on the same page. We're one I, and one. I literally fucked that up every single time. I was just thinking that we should have given you like a a better name, like you know, like you know, Mister Balsack or something like that. And so when we learned your first name, it's like you know Harry Balsack, but that's okay. Yeah, we'll get him next time. <laughs> So Harry joins us from the fine state of Maine, which is a state we have not gone to yet that I can think of. And you also are a tribal cop and you've done that your whole career, right? Yes. So I started um, actually in conservation in 2001 as a tribal game warden up until um, I went to work the road for the PD in 2000. Six for about a year, went back to uh, the tribal game wardens again, and then uh, did that up until 2014, no, 18, sorry, 18, and then uh, went back to the police department in a uh, supervisory role up until I got done back in May. So about a little over 21 years I've been in tribal law enforcement. So we're going to kill two birds with one stone on this one. I'm excited to talk about the tribal stuff. I'm excited to learn a little bit about Maine. But before that, good sir, what are you drinking tonight? I have four roses small batch bourbon with a mix of Sussex golden ginger ale that you can only get in the Maritimes of times of Canada. So the Sussex golden is, is a... Uh, hard to find soda and it's only produced over in Nova Scotia and sold in like New Brunswick in Nova Scotia. So it's kind of a coveted item in this part. Do you know what the best part in my opinion, and I've never been there, but do you know the best part of Nova Scotia? I don't. Are you sure? Would you like to phone a friend? <laughs> best part of nova scotia so it's got to be a trailer park yes it is a trailer park it is a trailer park boys it took me a minute yeah (laughs) yep can you go fuck yourself (laughs) (laughs) i always find like the region the regional hold on a second we're going to answer a question here is it soda or pop in your part of the world? And on this side of the line, it's soda. When you cross the line into Canada, it's pop. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I, I just, I don't get the whole thing, man. It either is or it isn't. I don't really care. It's like the toilet paper roll thing. You know, people get weirded out with however the toilet paper roll is. At the end of the day, it's just going to wipe your ass. Why do you care how it's it comes out of the roll? That that's true. Although I'm a little stickler on which way my toilet paper is facing, but uh, I agree with you there. It's it's it does its job in the end. I saw a meme the other day. It was pretty funny where they did the uh, oh what what are those things we did in school where you folded up the paper and it 
you know, it had like the four choices. Yeah, I forgot what those were called. I I, I wonder if I seen the same one because it talked about wanting to see your future. No, and it just had a picture of those little fold up things and asking if you want to see the future. I wonder if it was the same one I saw. Well, this one it did it with toilet paper, and they were saying that was the proper way to to fold up toilet paper. <laughs> that could be a little dangerous. Oh, absolutely. Oh. But I, I was gonna say though regarding the pop, is that I feel or the soda or the sodi pop, I feel <laughs> that the regional pops, some some of those are pretty damn fucking good. Yeah. I had the yeah. uh Tennessee guy send me, or maybe Kentucky sent me Moxie. That was pretty damn good. Yep, that they, they make that in Maine, Moxie. Okay. Oh, shit. Well then maybe that came from New Hampshire. Now I'm all confused. <laughs> I didn't hear that get the your podcast from the guy from New Hampshire, and I was at the same concert he was at for the Morgan Wallen concert. You mean that Morgan he Walmart? About. Yes, that fella. Yeah, that fella. So the Four Roses, I actually tried that. I don't know if it was a small batch, but I tried that at my uh, uncle's house in Colorado over the the holidays. That is some pretty damn good whiskey. I'd have to say. Yeah. It, it really is. And I actually uh, saw it on, uh, oh, what is the name of that? The Ranch, that Netflix series, The Ranch. So Sam Elliott drinks Four Roses mm. on that show. All so, right. And I had heard someone on your podcast talk about Elijah Craig, and I'm a big bourbon fan. So I tried Elijah Craig, and I love that. I actually like it better than Four Roses. But I've I... seen this seen it in the store so i decided to try it out all right we're gonna go on a little tangent here a little early for tangents but <laughs> what's with the western tv shows coming back man i'm not against it i haven't seen any of them though i haven't seen yellowstone i haven't seen the ranch i'm too busy making shitty podcasts for you guys but apparently <laughs> it's a thing man i mean I, I was at the store the other day in the high v and there's this big display of fucking cores, the beer that's been around forever with Yellowstone, yep. like be one of the cowboys on on <laughs> Yellowstone. And I'm like, it's a fucking cores. Give your balls a tug. <laughs> it, it, it really is. And I, I I got I watched the ranch during during the pandemic when I just started binge watching watching stuff. And that's where I'd seen that. But this Yellowstone thing, it, you know. My wife goes to a watch party with all her friends and they have wine night and, and just watch the the new show every Sunday night. So it's I don't get it. Honestly, I don't. Yeah, my my brother, the Costco brother, he's obsessed with it, too. So he says it's good. I'll you know, I'll check it out. I'm sure. I've but enough about Cowboys. Oh, go yes. ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say I watch a few of the episodes and it. And... I really like how Yellowstone um, depicts Native Americans because it's pretty pretty close. You know, all right, I'll check it out. Uh, I was actually going to ask, and since we're here, let's do it. I uh, I feel like a lot of the guys that work as tribal cops are not part of the tribe where you are, right? Yes, I am. Is that? I mean, is my assessment right, or is it kind of like half and half, or how does that work? I mean, and I don't know if it's different in different parts of the country. Yeah, I'm sure it's different in different parts of the country. Um, they try to get as many tribal people as they can, um, but there's there's always a mix of non 
non-tribal members. Um, I've heard of agencies in reservations across the country where it's it's they may be tribal members, but from a different tribe that come in, or there's a lot of non-tribal um, that come in and and work the areas, and they don't know anybody. Um, but for me, I think it's 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 been it has its blessings, but it has its curses being a member of the tribe working in the community I grew up in for sure. Well, I, I don't want the chicken to come before the egg or vice versa, but I think we should probably stay on this. We'll get, we'll get into this, a little of the other stuff later. Do you think it's for like a, we'll just say a white guy, a white guy going into the res to be is res PC. Can I say that? I don't even know. We say res all the time. Okay. I, I don't know if it's like one of those words that like, <laughs> You can say, but I can't say. You know what I'm saying? Well, you, I give you permission. You do. I got the R word pass. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Moving to the N word next, but no, just kidding. Uh, I don't, what the fuck's wrong with me? All right. Moving on. So as a white guy going into the, the res, so now that I can say that, um, Yep. Is it tough for those guys getting into that community or, you know, what have you seen? Yeah, I, I think it, it is tough. It's it's tough to get. Um, they're going to be challenging, not knowing you. Somebody that come in from out, they're going to they're going to test you to see what they can get away with, just like anywhere. And, you know, they're, they're going to throw that the honky word out there right off. And they're going to call you a white guy. And they're going to call you anything they can to get under your skin. Where where they wouldn't, with me, from being from the community, growing up with a lot of them, they wouldn't pull the same stuff. And, and I've seen it uh, working with coworkers that are non-tribal. I've seen it um, just other people coming in to assist us, other agencies coming in, that they treat them a whole lot different than they treat me. Well... To be fair, there is kind of a, a long history, which I could see some people being upset about, even though these, you know, these cops really have nothing to do with it. I mean, it kind of is what it is. Mm -hmm. Now, yep, there is a, a huge trust, distrust there from from the government that goes way back. And, and, you know, our my tribe is one of the earlier contact tribes. So it's we've had to survive quite a bit. Now, you as a guy that grew up there and is part of the a bigger part of the community, I mean, is it like other places in the country, I'd assume, where, you know, people kind of see you as a trader, you know, essentially working for the government or no, or because it's more part of the tribe? Uh, well, I think sometimes I, I've gotten that, that, hey, you, you know, you're out there enforcing the white man's laws and, and you're you're coming down on us and it's different here on the reservation and you're tribal, you should you should treat it, treat me different, but uh, it's, it's different everywhere you go. So jurisdiction is, is, is different here in Maine as compared to all the other tribes. Uh, almost every tribe has their own separate agreement, treaty, what have you with the government. So there's, there's a different way of interaction between the government and the tribe um, everywhere you go. So not everywhere is the same. It's, could be totally different um here in maine there the jurisdiction is, is is you have to know when somebody breaks the law you have to know whether they're a tribal member or not 
to which court um, they go to depending on uh, what crimes they've committed. So it's it, it can be pretty sticky. So does the the tribe have its own set of laws or as a cop, are you basically just enforcing the laws of the state or the county or the city or whatever? So with the tribes in Maine, um, they're under what's called the Maine Indian Land Claims Settlement Act. So that was passed in 1980, um, which gave uh, state law. Uh, how do I say that? I don't want to mess up the terms here, but it, it, it allowed uh, state laws to apply on reservation territory, which is different um, across the country. So it, the federal government allowed the state of Maine to step in in places uh, of jurisdiction that the federal government usually holds on to as type of a, a new way to deal with tribes as an experiment. So that allowed state law to be applied on tribal lands. Although there is exclusive jurisdiction on the tribe, especially uh, it comes to hunting, fishing, and trapping, there's exclusive jurisdiction and commercial um Harvesting of seafood is also an exclusive jurisdiction. So just to break the that down a little bit, and, and just real quick so I don't go too far ahead of myself. Absolutely. Are there are there any different laws specific to tribal members or no? There is a yep. So there are um tribal ordinances that are that apply to tribal land. Um they regulate hunting on the reservation, they allowed uh, tribal members to um, hunt moose, deer, bear within the trust territory of the tribe. And uh, so that if anybody that allows us to go out and harvest a moose per household each year or goes out, we can go harvest a deer. Um, we can go out where state of Maine law only allows you to hunt one under your own license on tribal land, we can go harvest a deer for say uh, an elder or a single mother that can't do it we can go out and harvest their deer on behalf of them okay so no like besides like wildlife type stuff there's not like i don't know i can't even think of like a charge like i can't so we'll just move on but that that answers my question <laughs> yep so mostly i guess it is with wildlife stuff here in maine okay yep so if as a tribal member you know, because you have to figure out if they're a tribal member or they're not a tribal member. If yep. they are and they commit a, a crime, does it go to a, a different court or did, would it still go to, you know, county or state court or whatever you guys do up there? So it depends if it's a civil infraction or a, a misdemeanor class D and E here in Maine. It goes to if you're a tribal member, it goes to tribal court. Okay. If it is if you're a tribal member and commit a felony, it goes through state court. Okay. And so, there's potential to federal court as well. Okay. So if you were a tribal member and you committed a misdemeanor, I mean, is there a separate tribal jail or is that basically you're probably not going to face any jail time with that? Or if there's nope. jail, would you go to the state jail? We uh, we use the county jail, which is about an hour or drive one way to the reservation from the reservation. But you, yet we, uh, we go to the county jail for all the, the tribal um, infractions. Okay. I I feel like we got a little out of order and I'm sure we'll get into more of the tribal stuff, but I wanted to take a step back 
We need yep. to learn a little bit about you, Harry. Why did you get into law enforcement? Well, growing up, my dad was a part-time firefighter and EMT, and and I always admire his service to to the community, and I, I wanted to do something like that. And I never really thought about law enforcement. Um, I had a child when I was pretty young. I was 18 when my daughter was born. And then as I turned 21, um, that's when the, the tribe got a, one of the DOJ COPS grants and was able to hire a few people. So I figured, hey, why not? I, can, I love hunting and I love um, being outdoors. And this can give me an opportunity to, to go out there. Hold on one second. My dog is squeaking a toy. I say, are you playing with a dog toy? <laughs> he, I swear to God, he knows the worst time to bite that thing. That's how that goes, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so I was hired under the cops grant. I would turn 21 in, in December. I got hired at the end of January, and I was in the police academy by February. Oh, wow. So you started young. I was very young. Very young. So, and, and your first thing you did was the wildlife stuff. As did you get into any of the criminal stuff, or just strictly a game warden? So they the in Maine, all our the tribal law enforcement um, are because of the Settlement Act are um, cert certified through the state of Maine. So to do any of that, you have to have state of Maine certification, and they the. Department of Public Safety for the state has what's well, it's what's called the Maine Criminal Justice Academy, and they oversee every everything that uh, they oversee law enforcement. They, you know, the state police, municipal, county, tribal certifications. They also do corrections, and uh, they just got into school resource officer certification. So they they oversee everything here in Maine. Okay. So yeah. Yeah, we're all certified to do any, we can ad address any criminal violation that we come across. Okay. Um, as, as a tribal agency, we also had an, an MOU with the state. So if, if we come across, because the, the trust lands here in Maine are scattered throughout the state. So you, we, we sometimes have to travel four hours just to get to a piece of property that's held within fed, federal trust. And if we were come across a violation on the, within that travel, as a fully certified officer, I could address those, even though it's not within my jurisdiction. Okay, I got you. I know the Colorado Division of Wildlife is is very similar. So, so what was? We'll just kind of start without the. We haven't really talked a whole lot of game warden stuff on the podcast. You know, we had the one that was kind of dedicated to it. But so, as a young guy, as a young cop, as a young game warden, what was a typical day like for you? So it could have been just about anything. It, it depended on the season. Um, whatever hunting season, fishing season it, it could be in. Uh, my favorite time was always fall and moose season, uh, moose hunting is big here in Maine and for the tribe. So when we would go sometimes get up, you know, two, three in the morning, get out into the woods, try to see if there's uh, somebody out there shooting early, somebody out there, you know, uh, during the rut season, they, they play these calls that try to, when they bring the moose in, so we try to catch them out there moving early if anybody's um, out there hunting without a license. So we, we just try to 
see everybody moving around, get out there and, and, and witness all this stuff. And, um, but it could have been, so like I said, some of the trust lands are a, a four hour trip one way. So we had a proper, we had a, um, remote camp that we would use and we'd go up and stay maybe two or three, four or five days up there and just, and just work, drive around, check licenses, go out early, stay out late, see if anybody's out violating the, uh, night hunting laws or the, the, the license laws or anything like that. I honestly but, didn't realize Maine was that big where anywhere would be four hours away. Yeah. So it could be, yeah, you could drive. If you get into the Southern part of the state to get to the most Northern tip, it's probably a little over six hours, I would say. No shit. Okay. I just, you know, I see Northeast state. I just figure it's one of these, you know, tiny states, but apparently not. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There's one county in Maine that's bigger than Rhode Island. Well, that's not saying much. Nobody cares about Rhode Island. <laughs> well, the other New England states can fit into Maine. So there's a mom joke to be made, but I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> so you do the wildlife thing for a while and then you it's it's for the same department right so then you go on the the road for a year yep it's within tech technically they're two different departments but for the same tribe and reservation so it's okay. really just a transfer over transfer over and i and i work the road full time with about 5 years under my belt which actually um helped out a lot as i being a new guy and and of us both very small departments um working the road it really honed and i was able to you know uh work on my people skills and interacting and as you know out in the woods you really don't come across all that many people as you do working working the road as an officer police officer but it was although you know, when you work in hunting season, you deal with everybody you deal with has a firearm, has a knife, has has some type of weapon. So when I went on the road, it was totally different. And uh, like I said, it, it just really helped me hone those skills as a police officer, people person. Learning those skills that one year was just an, an amazing uh, experience for me. And I just I really, really enjoyed that. And it made me a better officer. Uh, when I went back to the conservation afterwards. What was the, uh, I mean, did you want to go to the road or did they say, Hey, we want you for the road or how did that work? So, um, so I got into a little disagreement with my uh, supervisor at the time. And, and uh, it, it, it was best that we both decided that I, I uh, move on at the moment. So I, the best and easiest for me to, was to move over to the road. Okay. So you do that for a year and then did you want to go back to conservation or how did that work out? Yeah, actually, um, that they had some openings and, um, there was an, an election and one of the, the, uh, the gentleman, the guy that ran it was elected into a, uh, tribal politician seat. So, um, I approached him again and I was like, Hey, you know, I'd love to come back. I've been able to hone my skills. I've, you know, now better officer. And I went back in, uh, as a lieutenant and, and ran the department for a year, um, as a young officer again. And I, I was, 
maybe 28-29. And uh, I was appointed to the, the tribal game ward chief and, and ran the department for for about, yeah, several till 2018. Now, as a young guy, was that, was that a lot or do you think you were ready for it? What do you think? I absolutely was not ready for it. Um, I learned a lot. I grew up in that position pretty much. Um, you know, I, I took as much training as I possibly could to be, to be a good uh, supervisor, to be a good officer. I, I love training. I recommended all my guys to go to training. And you know, I just tried to, and being a small agency, we, we only had, there was only three or four guys under me at the most. And, okay. And so it wasn't like you very, were running like a hundred dudes or something like that. No. no. So it very specific charge. So we, we knew what we was needed to do on a daily basis. And I had great staff. There was an amazing staff underneath me that, you know, would just go to work and knew what they needed to do. And I would use all them guys to, you know, pick out their strengths, use them, use them to benefit their strengths and, and, uh, just kind of let them do what they needed to do. So you did that for a while and you learned from it, which I know, you know, I know it's tough to lead people as a new guy, especially when you don't know what the fuck you were doing. What (laughs) I guess for you, and I know it's kind of a hard question to answer, but for you, what was like the biggest thing you learned as a young leader that, you're like, fuck, I fucked this up or, or you learned from an experience or something like that. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is kind of a hard question. So I guess one of the biggest things was just, um, I think just kind of my personality. I was a little bit, uh, too soft sometimes and allowed, my guys to get away with a little bit more as, as now as an older officer, I can look back and reflect on that and be like, ah, geez, you know, I let them walk all, all over me a little bit and I picked up their slack when they really needed to be doing that. Um, but I, I guess that's, that's what comes to mind when you ask that question. And I formulated that very poorly. Good thing it is called poorly made police podcast. Yeah, I know it, it's tough, right? Because as a boss, and not that I did it on the police side, but in, in the the other side of the world when I did it, I it's hard because you want to be like the cool boss, like the cool mom or I don't know. I said mom, cool dad. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you want to be cool. You want to be cool, dad. But at the same time, you also don't want your kids to be shitheads and grow up to be shitheads. So it's it's difficult to find the balance of I want to help my guys. I want to be one of the guys, but I uh, I don't want them to walk over me and I want them to actually be able to be proficient in their jobs. It's tough. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and almost uh, all but one were older than I was and had been on the job way longer. Well, I'm sure there wasn't any animosity about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to go to that. I'm not going <laughs> to talk on that one. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think we all know the answer. It's all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I when I had my my managerial position, I was probably one of the youngest people there. So I get it, you know. And it's it's tough. And I, you, everybody knows I hate the brass, right? I don't hate you, but you know, it's it, yep. um, 
in theory, right? Every, all the brass suck, right? Which is not yep. fair. There's some good people that work for oh, yeah. brass, but I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this. There were quite a few people that had legitimate bitches with supervision, but there were also quite a few people that had not legitimate bitches with supervision, and they seemed to be the loudest about it. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, hey, dude, you got a badge and a gun. You know, they, they expect you to, like, comprehend what you're supposed to be doing and not to be babysat kind of thing. So, you know, it, it's really easy. You know, I, I can't say I'm sitting in an ivory tower. I'm, I'm sitting in a, a in a basement. But it's easy, really easy for my basement to point fingers and say people suck. But, I mean, let's be honest. There's some people that that are hard to supervise, to say the least. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I. I, I had this one guy that, uh, oh, geez, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, some of the guys that bitch and complain the fucking hardest are the ones that are doing the least and, and trying to, uh, as a supervisor, trying to figure out how to get them out of that negative space and like, Hey, let's get back on the road. Let's do the job. Let's get excited about the job again. You know, let's, you know, where, what's going on with you. Like those are the, the way I would try to approach some of that stuff. And it's like, Hey, how can I help you be a better officer? What do I need to do? What's going on with you? Is there something personal? Is there something in the job that we can talk about? Let's fix, let's try to, let's make this department the best it can be for our community. So after a few years, you went back to the uh, the roadside of it and as a yep. chief, right? Yes. Yep. I first came back as uh, as the lieutenant and the, the chief was kind of in transition and then uh, was appointed chief um, with uh, within about six months after. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so I ran that up until I got done at the end of May of this year. So when you went to the roadside, was it kind of the same size department, like three, four guys, or is it a little bit bigger? No, it was the same size. So there was five full time at the, at the height of it, at the most uh, we had officers. And then uh, when I had left, we were down to four. Okay. So as the chief, you're still on the road taking calls and all that stuff. Yes. Yep. So I was out working and, you know, I tried to uh, not do anything. I would, I didn't. I I tried to do everything I asked the guys to do. So I would work nights and I would work weekends and I would work uh, out there on the road and do handle calls just like uh, they would. But again, I, as the supervisor, I was also on call almost twenty four seven and had to respond to any major incidents. So it it uh, it led to burnout for me, honestly. Um, that's one of the reasons I chose to get done. And uh, yeah, so I was right out there on the road, um, handling calls, you know, pushing cases, also doing the administrative work and having to do all the NIBRS reports, having to do any reports to the BIA who uh, funds the department. 
under the Department of Interior. So there was there was a lot of administrative stuff. So supervising not only uh, the police department, I also supervised the dispatch uh, for the tribe. So it, it was uh, it was pretty busy and demanding. Oh yeah, I, I'm tired listening to that. I'm like, ooh, sounds <laughs> need a nap. I don't want to do all that work. That sounds awful. <laughs> yep. There's some great times, but it, it burnt me out. Was there some pushback from the people that were there? Because, you know, you were the guy that worked on the on the wildlife side, or was it not a big deal? I mean, because at that point, you'd been on the job for, you know, what, over 15 years, right? Yeah, so when I came back, yeah, it was 17 years when I went back. Okay. Now, there wasn't much pushback, other than, well, there was a, a little bit, and the guys left soon after I I, I came back that they thought they because they had been in the department uh, roughly five years that they sh- thought they should be running the place but um, you know I had way more experience been on the road way longer they they found other places to work after that now your department because you said it's kind of a mix is, is some people were tribal members some people were outsiders because it's a smaller department, is that one of those departments where people use that as like a stepping stone to go to the bigger departments, or was that a place where people would stay for a while? Uh, for the there, there, for the most part, it was people stayed here a while, and and there was a few that would use it as a stepping stone or jump around or or um, kind of have that feather in their cap. Say, hey, I worked for a tribe. But for the most part, um, did you just really say feather in the cap? I did. I guess you're allowed to say that. I couldn't have said (laughs) that, though, even though I have the R. (laughs) God damn, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you about my buddy Brad Williams over at Police Fit. You guys see him on the page every single Monday on Poorly Made Police Memes. Brad's going to help the new applicants and active officers smash their fitness and regain their health. Brad has 11 years experience in the fitness industry, 17 years in the military, and is also a first responder. He's going to share his experience and expertise to help applicants get their dream job and help active first responders regain their health. That's Police Fit, and I'll have a link for you on the podcast description. Back to the podcast. I, I was going to say, and just thinking out loud, because I, I want to talk about Maine a little bit and we'll go back and forth, but Maine is, is really not a very populous state, right? Like, there's not any huge police departments in the state, right? No, no. So the largest agency is the state, Maine State Police, and uh, probably Portland is would be the second second largest so uh and honestly i don't know the numbers of each of those departments but there's about so the whole population of the state of maine is roughly one and a quarter million yeah i was i'm actually yeah i'm looking that up and i'm like it's it's kind of crazy to me that it is a very it's a small state i mean i i think wyoming has a few more people but it's a Maybe they don't actually, but Wyoming's a, a huge state where Maine is is big, but not that big. That's what she right. said. Um, 
it's Maine one of the places where they have like sheriff's departments where they have deputies on the road or is I know sometimes in the northeast is basically you have the state police and then you have you know the cities and the townships and stuff you don't really have deputies on the road yep no you do you have the state police and then you have the um each county has a sheriff and deputies that that patrol and here okay. oh, and here they do a lot of uh, call share and and so they cover all the towns that don't have um full-time police departments they take turns covering those uh areas okay so the the main state police they're more than highway they'll answer calls for service yes yep is there a good relationship between the state police and the the deputies well the county the sheriffs and the tribal departments or is it kind of each their own or does it depend it depends. And I think um, in the past, you know, five, 10 years, it's really come around. Uh, there's uh, there was a huge distrust back, especially um, again, going back to the main land claim settlement act of 1980, where there was this big unknown. So the the tribes got here in Maine, got federal recognition in 1975. Um, and then there was this court case that said, hey, uh, the U.S. government in the state of Massachusetts, what Maine, which Maine was a part of um, before Maine became a state, had treaties with the tribes. Those were in violation of the Intercourse Act. Um, so that court case found that those um, treaties were in violation and, and gave and basically said that the tribes have claimed to two thirds of the state uh, in, in, in terms of land because it was taken illegally. So there was this huge uproar in the late 70s up until 1980 uh, when this Land Claim Settlement Act was signed. So they, there was just this time of not knowing what laws apply and when and where. And 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 there was, you know, the, the realty market in the state of Maine just literally stopped because people didn't know what the, that court case meant. So there was a lot of distrust between... Uh, the tribes, tribal agencies before that were, were basically constables. And then when federal recognition came in, that be, gave the tribes the ability to have 638 contracts under the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which allows the tribes to um, administer that trust responsibility on behalf of the Bureau of Indian Affairs and, and um, run the police department to police the reservation. So in the beginning, there was a lot of animosity about, you know, there was race relations that weren't great. And there was um, people that were in law enforcement that should have been both on both sides. There was some uh, things that happened. But I, like I said, in the past 10, 5, 10 years, we've really tried to, especially when I was there, tried to foster those relationships because we're all the same. We're out there doing the same job and we're out there chasing the same people and the better we can have each other's back, the better our uh, communities will be. So if uh, if you guys needed assistance, state would come in, no problem kind of deal? Yep, yep. There's There was times when they, they, they would not uh, even think about coming in to assist, and, uh, but they would come in anytime we call for backup. You know, the county we're in is very rural, and 
Um, now there's probably in the whole county, there's probably two agencies that run 24 seven. And those are the two reservations in this, in the county, the, the reservation, the, the tribal police agencies. So sometimes they may be in the middle of the night. If, if you're calling for backup, it could be two or three hours out. Wow. And they've called us to handle calls in the surrounding towns as well. So we can go over and, you know, if they have a, a domestic or a, a gun call and we're closer, they call us first to head over and, and secure the scene before they can get on. Okay. So that's good to hear. There's a lot of cooperation. Yep. What are, as a reservation cop, what are the, um, what are the big issues that you see as far as crime go? What, you know, what kind of crime trends do you see? When I was there, the largest, the worst one was, was uh, drug use and drug dealing. Um, fentanyl has hit us hard and on the reservations and, 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 uh, Domestic violence is another one that's that's pretty high. So substance abuse, um, both alcohol and, and fentanyl, and, and the the crimes that come with that. Domestic violence is another big one that hits us hard. And I don't know, like I'm culturally, I'm an idiot, so I'm not very worldly. Do most of the people within the tribal community they kind of live there? They grow up there. They don't go anywhere, or you know, does does family leave? Do people leave kind of thing? Or is it a lot of generations are there? There's uh, the, for the most part is people have been here and they don't leave. Um, there have been, uh, again, when there was the federal recognition. So before the federal recognition, we were considered uh, wards of the state. And a lot of people left looking for work. And when federal recognition came in, that came with a lot of program money so they're able to fund the tribal government to offer services on behalf of the federal government to the reservation so this money started coming into the tribal government and so that created jobs and in, in, in the reservation schools and so people started coming back home um it, but yeah it's just the tribal communities are, are, are some of the few that are are the only ones that are growing in the state of maine interesting Oh, and that was a question I was going to ask is, you know, what do most people do for work? It's for on reservation. They work for the tribal government or within the tribal school system. What other jobs are within the, uh, all right, let me take a step back. Do, but do some people like, you know, they go out of, out of the community for, you know, the day, go to work and come back kind of thing, or do people strictly kind of work in the community? And no, um, for the most part, it's within the community, the majority, but there are several that go out, um, and myself included now. Um, there are many um, uh, small business owners that, that run their business, like carpentry work and, and, and different things like that. There's a large um, paper mill that's close by that several members go there and work um, and a very high paying job. Um, some people go to Walmart that, and go to McDonald's and work, but for the majority, it's, it's within the tribal government system. I don't remember exactly where I was. I want to say, I think it was in Arizona and I, I drove through a reservation on my way home 
And it was, I think it was, yeah, it was during COVID and everything was shut down on the reservation. And it was, I don't even know how to describe it, but we, it was really, I mean, it was honestly kind of depressing just how it it was there. I mean, it's honestly part of the world. People can't really live in there's, you know, the ground, you can't farm there just gets no rain. It's, it's not, it's not a good place for people to live. And we're not going to get into the, the sins of the government on this podcast, but the we kind of got out of the mountains in this rocky area and we came out to this flat and it was like some Walmart or it was like a, a couple gas stations, a hotel and like a, a McDonald's and a Burger King or, or something like that. And you could see the highway was widened. It looked like a lot of people could be there and no one was there. It was, it was like fucking Mad Max. It was the weirdest shit ever. But I don't know why I had to tell this whole story, but. The point I was going to get to is, you know, are there like McDonald's or fast food or anything on the res or is it just, you know, more community based businesses? Yeah, there's not anything like that on the res and it's all community based businesses um, and and tribal government owned businesses. So everything that's like you're describing is is off reservation close by. Okay. And I guess that just, it must be different, you know, state to state or I, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I, again, I'm not worldly, yeah. but it, I, I yes. just, I was interested in kind of knowing how that worked and we couldn't stop yeah. to find out because everything was closed because of the COVID. Depending on what reservation you go to, it's always different. There's like what, 570 something tribes in the United States. That's just fairly recognized tribes. And each one of them have different treaties with the government and there's different ways that um, they conduct their business. And, you know, some, some reservations have casinos and and are very rich. And um, then there's others like us that have no ability to have a casino and um, depend on uh, the federal funds that come in to, to provide that income. I think that could be another five to six hour podcast, but (laughs) we'll stick with policing right now as a cop in that community. Do you get a lot of cooperation from the community or again, kind of back to that distrust kind of thing? Is it like, I guess what I'm asking, is it like everywhere else where like some people are cool and some people are dicks? Yeah. I think it's just like everywhere else. Some people are cool for the most part. I mean, most of them I grew up with or related to or know, and, and, and they know me from the community and trust me in that, the decision I'm making is, is beneficial for all of us. And I just treat them with respect and, and get it back. But there is some of those that distrust me because of simply having that badge on, on my chest and, and make it as hard as possible to, to come to a, a, a peaceful resolution. And sometimes they end up in jail. Every few seconds, I've been thinking about the feather and the cap and it makes me giggle. <laughs> now i don't know i so it's it's 2023 now um you know the world is a a quickly evolving place do a lot of the tribal people hate white the white man's still i mean i wouldn't blame them but i'm just i'm (laughs) curious what the racial relations are now you know it's it's I was reflecting on this recently and from when I was a kid to what 
I know now is a huge difference. There's <clears throat> the race relations around the reservation have gotten way better. And, and like growing up, I never knew anybody off the reservation. I, we stayed on the reservation. We played sports there. We played, you know, that's w where we hung out. We didn't go off unless we were ready for a fight because that would happen. But now, and growing up with my kids, I, there's a local town where there's a little league that, you know, we can go out there and, and play competitively and, and be um, immersed in, in the culture other than on the reservation. So I always expose my kids to that and, and allow them to make friends and, and learn, you know, how things are, are different regardless of where we're at, you know, people are people and um, there is no high schools on the reservations here. So, our kids have to go to a non-tribal high school to continue from ninth to 12th grade. So I wanted to make sure my kids were able to establish those relationships before they got there and knew kids and were friends with kids. And so that they didn't have the race, racial stuff that I grew up with. So, um, and I think that has changed a lot. Um, again, when, from when I was a kid to now, that's, that's, there's a huge difference. I, I guess sticking with that and just my own curiosity growing up, which I know you're not like an old man or anything like that, but <laughs> growing up, I would assume in the eighties or in nineties, was it, I mean, what was the culture like on the reservation? I guess even now too, is it, you know, somewhat european and somewhat traditional a mix or i i'm just curious what it's like right now yeah sure there's there's a mix there's um you know we there's a lot of the traditional um teachings and culture taught in the households they're taught within the school system on reservation so k through eight they get that um, exposure to language um to the, the the traditional culture that that we've been able to maintain um, there's a lot of things that happen within the community that are um, we still hold on to those those ceremonies and to those um, traditions that have been passed down and and, and especially uh, one of the bigger ones again is is to able to harvest the foods off the land and be connected to those river systems that our people have always been uh, living in, but. We also, you know, we drive cars. We, <laughs> we, we watch TV. We have Netflix subscriptions. We have, you know, we have all that stuff as well. And there's, there's that influence from social media and from, from TV and, and the surrounding communities because we're, we have to kind of walk those two different cultures and find that balance to be able to thrive. It's hard to thrive in both. And uh, to understand how to do that is it can be uh, a little difficult. Let me ask this, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, and I want to remind you, I do have the R card, so I, I believe that's a get-out-of-jail-free card. But I don't know why this popped in my brain, but as we were talking, especially like culture, you know, it, it being Americans, you know, there's a big emphasis on, uh, on our country and on um, patriotism and things like that. I, I But I can't imagine, you know, like 4th of July is a big holiday up there. Or is it? It's... Uh... 
totally, it kind of is, you know, you know, looking, there's a lot of, like you said, like we've talked about, there's a lot of distrust with the federal government, but at the same time, Native Americans across the country are, are, um, have a higher um, enrollment rate in military than any other race. So there's, there's, there's that sense of patriotism for those people that, you know, people of our community that gone and sacrificed their life or giving to the, the military for this country to make this place safe. So there's that, there's both of those. And, Interesting. and so, yeah, so Veterans Day is a huge thing for the tribes and for the, our tribe, and especially just to honor those, our people that have served in, you know, all these wars. And our, our, our tribe was even enlisted by George Washington to um, be within the, the American Revolution. And we won several battles here in Maine that ter- saved and turned the tide in some of those, uh, the areas up here during that time. Can I play a little something for our British friends right now? Absolutely. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I This is to I'm Canadians free. too. Although I like both of you guys, Canadians and the British. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I and again, I, I think it could be like a, a six to seven to maybe a 24 hour long podcast in talking about, you know, what happened in this country. But, it, you know, it's it's one of those things as fucked up as it is. It's, it's been kind of the story of mankind. And it's hard for us as and you tell me if I'm I'm, I'm wrong here, but I, I think it's hard for us as people that had nothing to do with any of it to be mad at each other for it because we're kind of dealt with the hands, you know, dealt with the hand we got. Right. Absolutely. Yep. I think you're right. I think it. a lot of people are looking at it like that, like, Hey, you know, we didn't have, we weren't the ones doing it to each other. So let's, let's, let's fix and be better neighbors and community members for each to move forward. So. Yeah. It's, you know, it sucks. Like a lot of this stuff, there's nothing we can do to fix what happened. The best we can do is, is, and I think not to get on my soapbox here, but I think, you know, we can use this with a lot of parts of our life, but we're in the present right now. That's the only thing, you know, you can, if you can, some things in your past that you can fix, that's great, but you can't, you can't fix things that happened before you were born or things that, you know, before you took part of just be a good human being and, make the world better for everybody else and you're going to be okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So while we're on the topic of race relations, I'm curious. So there was this thing that happened in 2020. I don't know if you heard about it. I don't know if it made Ah. its way all the way to Maine. What was like, what was that like? I don't know if you can answer it in two aspects, but as a, as a cop in Maine, you know, did you guys feel yep. the effect? And then as being on the res specifically, did you guys feel an effect from what happened in Minneapolis? Absolutely. We, uh, you know, we got, we got treated like every other cop in this country that, you know, we, we were the ones with our knees on, on, on that guy's neck. And we're treated that we constantly got filmed with cell phones, no matter what we did. 
we were being recorded. We were, you know, everybody was calling us killers and racist. Even being a, a tribal member, I was called a racist. But at the same time, uh, how do I say this? So my oldest boy is 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 really dark complected and there was a little bit of not that i don't trust cops but i had to tell my son as a minority say hey there's a certain way you need to react and you need to have respect you can't you have to this is how you do things if you get stopped this is what you need to do just because of a little bit of that knowing those race relations growing up and 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 being uh treated a certain way just because of my color so i i I try to teach my my kids that say hey you know i'm a cop most people know me if you're going to get stopped they're probably going to recognize your name if they don't you need to this is how you react in each step and you be respectful and do what is requested of you. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, God, since we're here, let's just have an awkward conversation about it. Um, (laughs) Here's like, I'm going to use this term because it's funny, but here's the typical white answer, right? When somebody says like, I have to talk to my, to my kids about how they're going to be stopped by the police. And before I go any further with that, I'm not I'm not saying that racism has never existed and you I'm I know you know that and I know the listeners know that. I'm not not saying well, you know, racism that doesn't even exist. It's a fairy tale. That's you're insane if you think <laughs> that it exists. Um but I guess with the white counter argument to that is always well, I mean you should tell your kids how to properly act in front of cops, you know? And mm-hmm. Like, as a white guy, I've been on calls with black kids and white kids and Hispanic kids and Asian kids. And I've I've dealt with white kids where I'm like, their parents clearly told them nothing about how to act in public or how to act with the cops. And I've been on calls with black kids where it's like, oh, they're these are good fucking kids. Or it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, I think yep. every parent has a responsibility to tell their kids or at least show their kids how to act in public kind of thing. And so like, that's like the, uh, the Facebook mom, you know, if I was a Facebook mom, I would tell you that, well, we told, we, we told little Jenny how to act too. Cause you're a parent. Do you know what I'm saying there though? Does that make sense? It does make a lot of sense. And, and yeah, everybody has to tell their kids, you know, you know, as you say that you keep referring to, to yourself as a mom a lot here Fuck, man <laughs> why do i keep you know? doing well okay let's be fair this <laughs> one was this was specifically facebook mom that would post this right <laughs> facebook mom would yep. share something and then go on like a four minute rant about it oh so, yeah oh, I... <laughs> dare you. i want to give you just wanted to fuck with you on that one no but I'd, i'll take you know what? it but, In the name of know, the race same... relations, you can call me a mom, okay? <laughs> as long as you identify as a mom, I'll call you a mom. Hey, it's 2023. I do whatever I want. And I'm a MILF. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
You know, just thinking about, again, so we're still on race relations. It, you know, and I, I almost feel shitty about saying this, but it's easy for, as a, as a, as a Native American, I get, I, I, my perspective is that it's easy for non-Native Americans to stereotype and judge what we do, one person does, for the whole race. So if, you know, how many times have you heard, oh, they're just a drunken Indian, or they're just a, you know, they're, they're going to steal, they're poor, they're, they're going to party and drink all night long. So no matter what we do, we're judged by one person's actions. So much, and it's, and it feels a lot like the George Floyd incident with police officers, like because that one person fucked up, we're all now on the shit list. So that's kind of similar how it feels sometimes being Native American. That hey, you. I know this one guy, he got drunk, he partied, he punched his wife, and that's what you all do. And when they get to know me, I've been called, oh, you're one of those, one of the good Indians. And, you know, what and the then fuck? that's, yeah, exactly. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> so, you know, when it comes down to those race relations, that's, I, I guess that's why I bring up how, how I try to teach my kids to, you know, growing up in a in their whole their whole life, I was a police officer, so they know how to act. And and probably when they see their name, they're a police officer in this area is going to know that who I am. But at the same time, it's they're not always going to stay in this area. So they there's a certain way to act, and and that's what I've always taught them. So there's I I've, there's a couple things I want to hit on this. This is. I like being able to actually have a conversation with somebody without being worried about like, Oh my God, it's going to turn into something because see, isn't it nice to just be able to have a fucking conversation? So Absolutely. I, I have a couple thoughts and I hope I don't forget them, but I, I probably will, but we'll, we'll start where I'm at. My head's at right now. So the race stuff, I think, and you, you, you have the authority to tell me I'm wrong here. Sometimes I feel like comedy is a good it's a good stress relief. It's a good way for people to come together. I think the problem is sometimes is people take it too far, right? Where like yeah. maybe there would be a time like there's all the stereotypes, right? Like w- let's stay off of Indians for a little bit and let's m- make fun of Asians. Um, although I might not have a card, but like you know, it's like the joke about like the Asian female driver is a bad driver, right? Yep. And like we can all kind of like. <laughs> That's kind of funny, but I'm sure like an Asian female, she's like, okay, I've literally been driving for 30 years and never gotten a rack, you know? And so it probably, it shit gets old after a while. And Mm -hmm. it's, I guess, I don't know, man. Like I I'm from the opinion that like, I think if we could all kind of take shots at each other fairly, but like in a good place, it's probably okay. But then I, I also see like, there's always that person that's going to take it too far where it's not funny. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely makes sense. And I agree with you hundred percent that, you know, comedy is, if you come to a, a tribal community or reservation, that's, 
you're going to hear comedy. You're going to get teased. If people like you, they tease you and, and they're going to razz you and they're, they're going to give you shit. If they don't like you and, and they, if you don't get teased, they, that's when you know, you don't, they don't like you. So um, yeah, that's, that's how, you know, comedy is, 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 you know, I've been taught in our culture, comedy is medicine. So that's, it's, it's healing. It's, it's laughter is healing. So that's, there's so much of that in, ingrained in our culture. And, and I think, you know, that, that um, crosses all those boundaries, laughter and, and comedy and making fun of each other is just a great way to bond. And if you can do it respect respectfully and, and just how you describe it, that's, that's how we should just treat each other. And I guess it's hard because it's hard to find like, what is what's the respectful boundary right where like i think like if people have some kind of kinship or their friends or whatever i think it's a little easier to say those things right absolutely but if but if it's like you know if i didn't know you and i started you know making red man jokes you'd be like what the fuck dude yeah well it it makes it tough right (laughs) um the the other thing i was going to ask is your thoughts on this because you brought up, you know, you were talking about, you know, like the stereotype of, you know, all the Indians are drunk or whatever, you know, bad Asian drivers is what I, I brought up. But yep, cops will often point out and say kind of the same thing. Like one dude does something fucking dumb and I'm that fucking guy, which I kind of subscribe to and it fucking pisses me off. But... I'm just curious for your take. It's not like a racial thing though, right? Is it is it weird for us to kind of say like hey, we wear the same uniform and this fucking all applies to us or should we not be saying that because we're not a race, we're it's a profession. And what's your thoughts on that? So it's um I, I compare them. I don't know that they're exactly the same, but they're similar. There's that, um, you know, we all wear that badge and we get treated a certain way be just because of that badge. But at the same time, it's a bit different because it is a profession and not a race. And um, I feel there's a lot of similarities there when it comes to, like you just said, like, when one person does something bad, it's, it's, it, we're judged on that. So, but at the, you know, thinking back and, and, and even, you know, I hate to bring this up, but the, uh, the, the mascots, the, the professional team mascots, right. The, they're, they're kind of demeaning when you look at, you know, that I don't have a problem with so much of Cleveland Indians per se, and it is the story is based on a, a, a tribal member from Maine that played for the Cleveland team. And that's why they were called that. But at the same time, the imagery and the mascot was kind of dehumanizing to to the race and and, and allowed people to look at Native Americans as less than or like the Redskins which is a, just that term is just horrible in itself. But, you know, the, the, the chief Wahoo is just a, a, like a character of, of 
So it, it felt made fun of people, of Native Americans. So I guess that's kind of what I compare it to a little bit. Yeah. You know, the mascot thing is interesting. And because sometimes, you know, I go back and forth where I'm like, well, depending on what it is, right? Is it is it kind of like a respectful thing? Like, this is badass. So this is why we're going to call ourselves this. Or, yep. you know, like you brought up Chief Wahoo. And I'm just thinking, like, holy fuck. What if there was a baseball team that had, like, a blackface mascot? Could you fucking imagine? No. No, or, could not. Or, like, uh, and all of us be like, what the fuck, dude? Um or, yeah. you know, like an Asian or like, you know, a Mexican thing. Like it would be like, what? So, right. you know, like on one hand, I'm like, you know, because like, you know, I grew up with like the major league movies. Right. And I'm like, oh, I yep. fucking love the Indians. Yeah. And like the Indians were like, they were a team I liked. And I had like Jim Tomey and stuff back in the day. I like the 90s Indians yep. teams were fucking great. But so it's like kind of that that balance. Right. Like the Braves. I grew up watching the Braves and, you know, everybody yep. used to do the, the chop. And I'm like, is yep. that like a cool thing because it's like it's fucking badass or is it disrespectful? I don't know. You know, I'm I'm a white guy thinking these things. I don't know. I mean, you look at Braves. I mean, you, I would say that name's like good because it's like you're brave. You know, you're badass. But I don't know yep. about the chop. What do you think right. about the chop? Is the chop too much? So the, the chop is a, is a bit much, I think. it's It's a little... It's not so much the chop, but it's the chanting that comes with it. You know what I mean? Mm. And in the large, I drum forgot that, about the chant. I forgot about yep. the chant. Yeah. Yep. So that that's but, that's a little hard to follow. But at the same it? time, the Braves' name is not offensive, and to me, it's I'm totally fine with the Braves. We got really off track. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, it's I don't know it's an interesting conversation to have you know I, I don't I'm just you know don't get to often have it so back to the police thing though I, and I guess to make my final point on that as far as like the police you know like I I think sometimes like I've heard stuff and I might get some hate for this but this is kind of what I think is you know you you hear some stuff where like people want you know. If, people do something against the police. They want it charged as a hate crime. And, mm. you know, I have my thoughts on hate crimes as it is, you know, every crime is a hate crime kind of thing. Um, but we're not a race. We're not a culture. It's, it's a profession. And most States already have enhancers for um, crimes against law enforcement. I, I would assume all of them do. So right. it's like we kind of take it too far where I, I think like I think we can safely as a group be upset like, hey, I'm not Derek Chauvin. I'm not whoever like I didn't fucking do this. I had nothing to do with this. But I also think, you know, taking it that additional step where it's like, oh, there should be a hate crime because it was against a cop. It's like, well, I don't think we're quite there. Is that fair? No, I agree with you. 100. I agree with you. 100 percent. It's it's not a hate crime. And. and there is enhancers when you do those types of crimes against a law enforcement or uh, officer in the act of his duty. So it's, it's, I think you're a hundred percent correct. All right. We got super far off track and I had no intention about solving the country's race relations, but we fucking did it, buddy. <laughs> we did it. 
Fuck yeah. There's no more racism <laughs> in America. We did it. Um, before we move on, I want to make sure that I do the officer of the podcast. As you guys know, you can nominate your buddies at poorly made police memes at gmail.com. And if you got somebody that's not being recognized or somebody that's been recognized and it's really badass and you think they deserve a patch, then send it in and I will read it poorly on the podcast. And the patches were generously donated by my good buddies, Ghost Patch. Today, uh, I would like to nominate my friend, Deputy Blankety Blank, in Blankety Blank. Blankety works in a rural county like two people on shift to cover 2,500 square miles. Despite its rural nature, the county has a high rate of murders and other violent crimes, so everyone stays busy. Blankety also works in an agency that only issues a level two vest. They say it's the minimum they have to provide. Hey, at least they get a vest, right? Um, No SWAT team, and they don't even put spotlights on patrol vehicles because they cost too much. Holy fuck. This state is very anti-LE with lax penalties, no vehicle searches without warrants, no pretext stops. Basically, Blankety works with everything from the state to his own agency stacked against him. I know this because Blankety was my only backup and close friend for the last five years. He saved my ass more times than I can count. Despite all the odds against him, Blankety was responsible for more drug seizures last year than the regional narcotics team. And on every entry team of every high-risk search warrant for the at least the last two years. And personally was responsible for apprehending multiple fugitives for serious crimes. I personally witnessed him spend hours in a hoarder's house covered in shit to apprehend a serial child molester. His agency doesn't do attaboys. In fact, they reward good work by more work. So that's the reason I left the agency and the state. But Blankety is still there fighting an uphill battle every single day for the people who largely take him for granted. So I nominate him. Good work, Blankety. Does he deserve a applause, air horns, or a T-Rex? He deserves a T-Rex there. Fuck yeah, he does. Hell yeah. Back to Harry here. It's a traditional native name, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so we'll get back to you a little bit. So... You became chief on a on a smaller apartment, and it sounded like it sounded like you had the kind of the odds stacked against you. You had a like patrol work to do and all the admin stuff to do. Was that a tough couple of years? It was. It really was a, a tough couple of years. Um, you know, handling. So we did we did twelve hour shifts just because of the size of the agency, and we we needed to cover twenty four seven. And I jumped in on those shifts as much as possible. In the beginning, when we were had more staff, I was able to um, do a little bit less on the road and do more of the administrative stuff. But as um, I had a couple uh, officers get injured, um, I had to jump right in and cover those shifts. And, and at one point during... Uh, say May of 2001. So we had an officer with an injury, an officer out with training. There was three of us. I literally worked out of a 26-day stretch, 23, 
12 hour shifts within the month of May. That's almost it is absolutely brutal on top of covering calls for service, making sure the budgets uh, being adhered to the bills were paid, the reports were going in. Uh, overseeing some of making sure the case files were going into where they needed to be, whether it be tribal court, state court, making sure that the officers are doing their jobs, uh, supervising our dispatch unit at the same time, making sure the lights on are in the in the PD. So it, it was a quite a brutal time for me. So um, those three years was was pretty busy. Not that I didn't learn a lot. Uh, um, but I learned a lot of what I didn't want for myself. Was the climate a reason you left or was it? Well, I guess I'll let you answer, but was it, you know, what, what were some of the driving factors of you leaving? So I can almost pinpoint it to the second <laughs> of when I leave. <laughs> so honestly, so that there's, there's a huge, uh, there was, is a huge drug problem. Um, on the reservation and um, it started with the prescription drug pills in in the late 90s early 2000s it, it turned into heroin into now everything that comes in is fentanyl um, there was a stretch for a year or two that literally almost dealt with an overdose death within uh, almost want to say every month every other month I was doing CPR, um, checking on people, you know, processing death scenes um, for people I grew up with, with family members. And um, I can say on New Year's Eve of last year, so just the one one year anniversary was was a really hard hitting over um, a death that really hit me hard. It, it was first cousin I grew up with almost as a brother and and to process that scene was difficult in itself Ooh. but at the I um, was had several family members come to me directly and I and I I want to think because of the badge that they blamed me personally for that death because of I didn't quote unquote arrest the drug dealers soon enough. So that was, was I can pinpoint it to that second when I'm like, I'm, I'm out. Um, I started looking for a job soon, although I made sure. So within the, within that time frame, we were working with several different, drug units federal and uh the state task force to do a large drug sweep on the reservation i made sure i was still uh in my position and was seeing that through um i made sure that happened before i left my position so i wanted to make sure that i didn't leave without that being settled there was a community outcry and and this will probably dox me um but there was a community outcry about um this one death although there was several several before that this one hit the community hard and and i was personally blamed for that 
so that that that's my was my decision to leave so you you killed them personally right <laughs> yeah you, you <laughs> were the one that killed them uh, yeah that that's okay. that's what many people said so obviously not and and you know that was like the shittiest day of my career i can tell you that right now but yeah Obviously, I didn't personally kill them, but that was the sentiment, and, and and it was heavy. It was really heavy, honestly. That's that's a dynamic we haven't really kind of talked about on the podcast because I think working in an agency where you, I mean, you basically know everybody. I'm. I guess the expectation would be is is you're supposed to prevent crime before it happens or stop people from <laughs> taking drugs. Yep, and I'm supposed to violate drug dealers' rights before anybody else gets hurt because they're drug dealers. They're already breaking breaking the laws, but so I'm supposed to just because I know that I'm supposed to just violate their rights and jump in their house and arrest them without any evidence. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the thing, right? Is people always say, "Well, like, the cops don't do anything." Like I, I told him he was a drug dealer. Oh, Jamie told me that he's a drug dealer, so I'm going to go arrest him. And my probable cause statement's going to say, "I was told by Facebook mom Jamie that Timmy was a drug dealer. Therefore, that is my probable cause to send him in jail for the next thirty years." That's how people think it fucking works. Exactly, and the people. And those people, will they cooperate as witnesses? No. Let's see, figure it out. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So I you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have killed be- him, buddy. You shouldn't <laughs> have killed him. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to jump a little bit because I, I forgot to ask this earlier. Yep. What is the state of policing in Maine? Is that a good place to be a cop or no? It's um, it got a little scary there. Uh, not gonna lie about you know this last legislative session. There was a lot of bills introduced to change how police officers uh, interact with the public, but fortunately they got shot down. So there was a lot of those get rid of the pretextual stops. There was a lot of uh, talk about racism and in, in in how you deal with people. And I think for the most part, right now. Um, being a police officer in Maine is still decent, although there still feels as though there's that uh, mass exodus a little bit within the career and the profession, and there's not the huge uh, application pool that I had experienced, you know, coming in in early 2001, um, and especially after. 9-11 that there was you know it was competitive and now it's it, it feels like a, a, what you talk about on all your podcasts across the country where there's that oh geez let's take who we can get that's the best out of that pool it's not necessarily would have made it 10 or 12 years 15 years ago but now are good enough how is the I mean, I don't, I don't expect you to tell me numbers or, or what your tax returns are or anything, but how is the pay as a cop on the res? Oh, it's uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's compared to the County. It's probably a little better. Um, 
countywide for agencies, but um, the cost of living in this rural area is not as high, but at the same time, it's not um, what you would expect for anybody that puts their life on a, on the line. So I, I, I can say I don't feel as though I was paid for the amount of work I put in. Fair enough. Is the cost of living in Maine like decent or is it pretty expensive? It's it's dependent on where you're at. If you're in the southern part of the state near Portland, it's it's a lot higher. Um, and as closer closer you get to the New Hampshire border to towards Massachusetts, a lot higher. In the rural part of the states, it's a lot lower. You do you know you have like three accents? <laughs> so my kids tell me I have I have a white voice. <laughs> they can tell when there's a, that I have a white voice. They tell me that all the time. That that is funny. Um, <laughs> that's a little funny. Um, yeah, because you yeah, every once in a while, like it, it'll I don't know, it'll sound more native to say be honest, <laughs> and then it'll sound. Um, then you'll kind of like have that 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 East Coast accent a little bit. And I'm like, yep. it's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> that fucking distracted me. Um, <laughs> so, what are we even talking about? So, so Maine's like okay to be a cop, and pay's not great, but it it could be worse. I mean, I assume it's it's pretty nice country up there, right? Very green. It's, it's very green as the rural rural areas are very rural. There's some beautiful coastline. There's some, you know, some large woods you can get lost in and never come out of. And then there's that, that, that urban area down in the Southern part of the state that if that's what you like, you can, you can find that as well. It's very touristy. Yeah, I was, I've actually, well, I thought for a long time that Bangor was the capital, but it, apparently it's uh, Augusta. Or it is Augusta. Um, I think Bank has been a capital for a very short stint. Well, apparently, as I'm learning as my kids go through geography, is I don't fucking remember that shit. <laughs> I assume the weathers there are pretty fucking brutal, though, right? Oh, they can be. Yep, it's been mild this year. Um, I said the weathers. I th I meant to say the winter, but yeah, yeah the winters. I know what you meant. <laughs> it can be pretty brutal. It, uh, we've had, you know, six, four or five feet of snow out here. Uh, by January this year, we have barely an inch on the ground. So it's uh, it can be it's different all the time and, and can be very brutal at times. It was 50 degrees last week and it was 13 degrees this morning. So so. You left. Um, do you miss it? I do. It's you know I miss I miss some of those adrenaline rushes. I really do. And uh, so the other day I was I was going to my new job, and there was a, a three state troopers that had pulled a vehicle over. The doors are all wide open. The guy was in cuffs. They're searching the vehicle. I'm like, man, don't I wish I could be there right now helping out? I, I, I really miss that. You know, I've been thinking about that a lot this past week about how 
being of service to somebody and providing that help and being able to, um, you know, help a, a victim in, in, in some way or get out of someplace that's unsafe and be help them become safe. I miss that part of it. I miss that service part of the job, but I don't miss those, you know, five, six, seven days straight working. I don't miss the, the being blamed for somebody, something I have no control over. I don't miss that part of it. Yeah. It's, it's tough because that's kind of exactly the same. It's hard to replace that, that service, right. Which will, you know, we'll make fun of thanks for my service, but you know, it, it's, it's a real thing. Like you're doing a real thing instead of, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what people do for work. Like you ever drive by a big house and you're like, how the fuck does this guy afford this? Absolutely. I think about that all the time. Like, what the fuck am I doing wrong that I, I'm living in my moderate house with my moderate stuff and, you know, the, the typical family that you see on TV, like, hey, we're, you know, we're, we have a couple of cars, we have what we need to get by, but how do I do something that affords me that house? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it makes no sense. Like I was, I don't know. Apparently, you're supposed to go to college or something. I don't know, fuck that. Yeah, what the hell is that? So, have you given any thought to uh, going back, like maybe a different department or anything like that? Or are you pretty happy with your new gig? Um, you know, honestly, I, I'm still still trying to find my place. I'm obviously doing that. Twenty one years. It's it's been a, quite a transition to leave that. I've been able to luckily maintain my uh, credentials and and kept on my tra- kept up my training. And you know, I think about going back maybe on a part time basis and helping out when I can, be just because of that that missing that service part of it. But at the same time, I've I'm I like where. I'm at um, mentally, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And, and you know, I, I, I found aspects of the job not realizing at the time was was very draining on my my mental state. It was draining on my physical health state. And, you know, I ended up on blood pressure meds and, and, and some cholesterol meds and being able to take a step away from that and re reevaluate how I live my life I've been able to make some healthier changes not being in the mix constantly which is weird because I seem to went downhill after I left I mean not weird maybe I'm just weird I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say here but I guess uh, it's probably for you know what's fucked up is I heard a lot of people tell me oh yeah once you leave the job it'll it'll completely change you You'll feel so much better. And I'm like, so when's this happen? <laughs> like any day now or what? And a, a part of the problem is, is I'm still very much invested in it. And you know yep. what I do with this. It's, it's my own fucking fault, my own doing. But yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people where they're like, oh yeah, it's fucking, yeah, I miss some stuff, but it's nice to be a normal person again. It is. It really is. Although, you know, I, I will say I've li- literally listened 
to your podcast. I've maintained listening to your podcast. I've li- listened to almost all of them consecutively, although I'm not caught soul. up. <laughs> no, I love it. I, it just, you know, I'd sent you a message a while back. Um, it was a, a while ago. And, and when you, uh, you made a meme that was similar to what I said to you. I, was like, I felt like a little giddy schoolgirl. I'm like, oh, I, this famous guy is, uh, <laughs> listen to what I said. <laughs> but, you know, it just, I, I still, I still hold on to that. And, and you know, I, I held on to some of my gear and, you know, I was able to, uh, when I stepped back, I held on to my sidearm and, and my vest and, and some uniform just in case. And they allowed me to do that, which was great. And recently I've been asked for to hand some of that stuff back. And that was almost devastating to me. You know, it, it seemed weird too, because it's almost like giving up an identity, even though I have stepped back and it's been seven months since I've actually even worked a shift or been on the road. It's, it's almost changing. It, it, it was a, um, it was something that really changed who I identify as, if that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. Definitely. Well, Harry, are you ready for some dumb questions? I would love some dumb questions. Good, sir. What is the dumbest thing you did as a rookie? Oh, so one of the, and I guess it it, it goes to a, a rookie mistake. And I, and I've been actually thinking about this because you ask this question every time, but I went to the jail. I checked my guy in, processed him through. I literally left and was almost an hour back to my patrol area and realized I left my gun in the locker box. Mm. That, that'll happen. That's a classic oh, mistake. It, That's a long way back, too. Oh, it, it, it added. So it, it takes over an hour to get to the jail. You have time to process them through. An hour to get back. So it, it added an additional hour and a half on that two and a half hours to go back and grab my sidearm. Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> yep. And that and and we're all one man patrols. So when that happens, that the the patrol area is without for that long. So what is something you know now that you wish you knew as a young man? Oh, don't sweat the small stuff. I would try to, you know, I, 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 I pretend to know, to act like I knew everything. And I, I didn't want to look, be looked down as somebody that didn't know. But that's how you learn. You learn through those mistakes and you learn through those um, teachings from people that have been on the job for years. So. I wish I hadn't um, worried about that as much and let that little things go and, and take your lessons from, from your experiences. I've wasted so much of my life worrying about things that don't matter. Yep. What is the proudest moment of your career? So this one time, this one just jumps in my head. I get called at like three in the morning as as a conservation officer. 
there's some uh, report of some guys screaming out in the middle of the lake. So I, like, ah, this don't make any sense, but I'll jump out. So I, I go to the where our boat is parked, and it was a very calm night. It was very foggy as well, and that I remember all the details, and I could hear people yelling. So I'm like, what is going on? I jump in the boat, and I head down towards the area, and I come across these gentlemen that had been in the water for five or six hours that they were from the southwest part of the country. I don't know if Arizona, New Mexico, they come up to Maine, decided they were going to take a canoe out and tipped it. They had no idea how to swim. It was uh, probably late spring, early summer. So the water was still pretty cold. Um, so I find these guys in the middle of the night. I respond. I take my boat over to them. I've been able to, I was able to pick every single one of them guys out of the water. Uh, there was a, ambulance parked on the shore i was able to drive them over in my boat in the meantime so there's a side side story to this i dropped my flashlight as i'm rescuing these guys so i get over get them to the ambulance they're all taken to the hospital they're saved one guy's on the verge of hypothermia i'm able to save all these guys i go back to my flashlight still on at the bottom of the lake and i can see it (laughs) so everybody's cleared the scene I strip down naked. I jump off my boat I dive <laughs> to the bottom of the lake to retrieve my flashlight, pull it up, and it works. Still works. And then a couple of days later, the battery dies. It's no good anymore <laughs> after all that effort. But that, that was one of the proudest moments of my career, I think. All right. I got questions. A, um, the flashlight. It fucking worked underwater. It did. It was one of those stream lights, uh, the the smaller stream lights. It dropped down. I bet the water was 12, 14 feet deep, and I could still see it at the bottom of the lake. That is fucking wild. And then you said it was foggy. And remind me, what time of year was it? It was late spring, early summer. So so probably a little chilly still in the lake, right? Yep, very chilly. So the shrinkage was intense. <laughs> Absolutely intense. If it was, uh, if anybody was around, I'd have been screaming like George Costanza. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So <laughs> I have a flashlight story if you want to hear it, and Absolutely. it still pisses me off. So I, I streamlight. I think it was. Um, I can't remember which the stinger. I think it was a stinger because the. That's not the one that's the gun man. I don't know the fucking names of them. Anyway, nope, it's a flashlight. My- I, it was the flashlight I got to start my career. And I think at that point, I was probably five, six years in, I think. Maybe not that long, maybe four years in. And so it was the first flashlight I bought in the Academy. Always had it. It was a good, a good flashlight, fucking reliable as shit. Um, had the, the sweet charger to it. It was awesome. And day shift, I get in a foot chase and I have a fucking garage sale, right? And um, my fucking flashlight falls out. I think I don't. I think a mag fell out too. I don't know. By the way, kids, make sure your fucking mag pouch. You gotta check that screw every once in a while if you have one of those. And uh, we end up. I didn't catch the guy because I'm slow, but I followed him long enough till the fast guy got there, 
and a fast guy caught him. And it was like stupid hit and run DUI. It was, it was fun. It was a good time. But I go back to look for my flashlight and it's fucking gone. Right. Um, Cause by the time I booked this dude, it was kind of dark out. So I went the next day over there and it was gone. I know some fucking crackhead over there probably stole my flashlight and is probably up their ass at this point. But I'm very upset to it about it to this day. And I'm getting a different flashlight. And it's just not the same, man. I should have just, I was cheap, right? I was like, you know, the stinger is like 120 bucks. And it's like, I'll just, I'll buy this $80 one. It's just not the same, man. You got to get the stinger. Absolutely not the same. And I, I don't know why I had some, such an emotional attachment to that light. And <laughs> I dove down in the middle of the night in the cold water to pick it up. But yeah, I feel you. I'm not a strong swimmer, so it would have been gone. I mean, I ain't going to drown. You know, I can go swim in a lake, but I ain't, I ain't diving down fucking 14 feet in a lake. If it's beyond 10 feet, I ain't doing it. <laughs> so, um, next, up next here. But I have to, you know what? You fucking deserve a round of applause for that. That's That's good work. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right, moving on. It took me longer to find the applause than necessary. Would you want well, your curtsy? You, yeah, you did. You curtsied before the applause. You're supposed I to did. say thank you, and then you know. And I was going to cut it all out, but now it's here. Um, <laughs> would you want your kid to be a cop? You know, I would try to steer them away from it, although. I wouldn't stop them. I would not. I would recommend them not to, honestly. Good man. All right. The next part of the podcast is when we uh, dive into some weird shit. And uh, I think I'm going to keep it. But if people don't like it, let me know. But I think it's entertaining. I find it interesting. Ghosts or aliens, paranormal or extraterrestrial experiences. You got any stories? Oh, I've had many experiences with with ghosts and it's kind of a cultural thing, I would say, because we we feel as though our ancestors are with us and, and around us all the time. So um, I've had those experiences and I've seen those things in ceremony. Um, I don't have a story that pops in the top of my head that is entertaining for everybody. And I'll probably think of it as soon as I hang up, but um, I can say that I feel like they're there. They are here. Um, aliens. I feel as I don't have a story about any of that, but I, I don't feel like we're alone in this, in this uh, universe. I was going to ask if, um, you know, and again, I know every tribe's different, but what, what the native thought was on, on extraterrestrial type stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know that we. I've never heard any stories about extraterrestrial, although I've heard of, you know, all the cultural stories, the the legends, the myths, the the stories of ancestors and and how uh, you the cultural norms of how you act within certain situations, I guess, um, but not extraterrestrial per se 
Interesting. You know what? I don't know. I again, not to go on like a wild tangent, but I feel like your dog is really having a, a bad day. He is. He's he's uh he's behind the gate, not beside me, so he's ready for bed. <laughs> I hear you. We'll tell him soon. But I uh you know, I, I just feel like Native Americans are kind of more in tune with the world and the universe and stuff. And I'm kind of now doubting extraterrestrials because I would just think, I don't know. You know, I, I've never put much thought into it. I mean, like, I, I've heard the stories about, you know, like ghosts and things like that. And that's, that's part of the culture and things. But yeah, I don't know. Interesting. That's that's something to ponder. Um, Good, sir. <laughs> in, in your humble opinion, what is the best patrol car of all time? Oh, you know, I've only driven a Crown Vic a very short time. Most of my p- patrol career has been in, in a pickup. Um, the, my most favorite one <laughs> is a Ford F-150. You know what? Uh, I can get behind a pickup, man. Although the last one I had, I, it took me a, a Walmart parking lot to turn around. But the motor in that thing was amazing. Fair enough. Fucking cracking me up, man. What kind of dog do you got? Oh, he's a mutt. He's a mixture between a a uh, pug and a mini pinch. Really? Because I, I felt like there was maybe like a little hound going on there. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, they, they marketed him as a mini rottweiler so he looks kind of rottweiler but he's only like 12 pounds good sir no one cares about race relations no one cares about your your story as a cop what they want to know is if you've ever shit your pants oh you absolutely have do you have I, a good uh, story to share it's not great not as some of the the, the ones i've heard on your story so there's it's not a classic it's not a classic. So I go to the restaurant. So I, I've had my gallbladder removed. So the gallbladder helps you process fat when you consume fat. Okay. I went to the local restaurant off reservation. And one of the, the regional foods, I guess, is Putin. I don't know if you've ever heard of Putin. So I have. It sounds it, delicious. Oh, it's amazing. French fries. With gravy and cheese. So I have one of those. The gravy in that thing literally went straight through me. The The restaurant to my department was less than five minutes away. By the time I get a half mile away from the restaurant, I'm puckering up. My stomach hurts. It's time to go. I still have probably two miles five. I get to the station, I'm clinching with all my might to get out of the vehicle. I get into the police department. I walk. I have to walk by the dispatch to get to the bathroom. And my stomach hurts so bad, I literally have to stop. I can't walk. I can't do anything. I just have to concentrate. The dispatcher looks at me. 
and they just start laughing because they must have read it on my face and it, <laughs> and it touches cloth at that point so i i get to the bathroom which is only 10 more feet away i have to obviously i do my business i have to clean up i have to throw my underwear away luckily i was able to drive home and change but yeah it's that's that's my uh story you know if only you were a little closer to the lake you could have took an aqua dump i literally drove across the bridge to get to the station you should have took an aqua dump man oh man i i didn't think you of had it. your opportunity i mean i know how you feel about getting in your skivvies and fucking jumping in the lake so <laughs> yeah no no hesitation there i should have done it it would have saved me some time and and some cleanup. <laughs> this has been fun, man. It's uh, I usually don't have this much fun when I'm sober, but this was a good time. We uh, we solved okay. race relations. We've yes solved you know 300 years of racial tension right here on this podcast. Um, do you have any words of wisdom for all the millions of listeners out there? You know, honestly, being 21 years through this career i my goal was 25 i hit 21 take care of yourself that's that's what i recommend take care of yourself mentally physically and and make sure your family comes first amen brother well hey harry thanks again for your time i really appreciate it and for the millions of you out there you guys know what to do tell your friends tell your family I uh, rely on a lot of you guys in the word of mouth to spread the word of the podcast. I don't know why, but if I mention the word podcast on any of my posts on Facebook and Instagram, it does not seem to do well. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I need to like call it something else, a poop cast. I actually tried that in a post, it didn't work. But uh, I appreciate you guys spreading the word and letting people know about this uh, place for people to come talk shit and vent and learn that it sucks everywhere. But other than that, you guys uh, take care of the fine sponsors of the podcast. You can be a monthly donor. You can buy some nice merch. Uh, me and Ghost Patch just cooked something up that I think you guys will really enjoy. I got to hopefully come out in the next couple months. With that said, remember, racial stereotypes are kind of funny, but sometimes they're not. And I think mayonnaise is spicy. I love most of you. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>